It's 11.30 on this cloudy Wednesday, the 28th day of April. Time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Rural Voice of Nebraska. Well, we got a great show coming up for you here this afternoon. Jason Jorgensen in with sports. If you haven't heard, spring game coming up for the Husker football team this upcoming Saturday. We'll hear more about that. Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing midway through the week. And, of course, we'll have our own Paul Perkins step back in and tell us about the upcoming forecast. Again, northeast Colorado. Some areas received eight inches of rain yesterday. A lot, a lot of rain. But let's start off with our own Susan Littlefield. And, uh, Susan, did you get any rain yesterday? No. No rain at all. <laughs> I mean, the the sidewalk was damp. But that was it. I could walk through the grass and my feet weren't wet. So hmm. Mother Nature just teased us. We had lots of lightning. It was a beautiful show. But she didn't produce anything. Well, it's better than snow. How about that? Yeah, we'll take that. Right. Definitely. It's a little fix. That's right. Well, what do you have coming up for us on Midday today? Well, we'll kick it off at 1219. I had a conversation with the Nance County attorney as uh, they had a talk about 30 by 30. We've had these discussions on the air in the last couple of weeks, and now they've got a moratorium in place opposing 30 by 30 and backing Governor Pete Ricketts, who actually put out an an article called Protect Our Land and Water. So that kind of follows up with that from their meeting yesterday. Then at 12.45, we continue that conversation about our veterinarians. And there's a new book out called Happy Vet, Happy Pet. And we talk about things, kind of the rules, the unwritten rules that we as pet owners need to remember and livestock owners when it comes to talking to our veterinarians. And then Chabella will wrap up everything at 117 as we continue our Women in Ag series as she will be talking with Valerie Baker from Miniature, Nebraska, about uh, traveling three times around the world in the Air Force. Hmm. It's going to be pretty cool. You're going to not want to miss that when that comes up again at 117. All right, we look forward to the information and uh, interviews. Again, the 30 by 30, something a lot of people are uh, keeping their eye on as well. So thank you very much. Very much. Thank you so much, Tyler. All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. And uh, this upcoming Friday, there'll be uh, shovels digging into the uh, dirt in Lincoln as the expansion project finally going to start yeah, taking it does. place. It does. Chris was on pause due to COVID. $155 million project. Last night, Athletic Director Bill Moose was on Sports Nightly. We'll let you hear what he uh, had to say. But yeah, they're pretty excited about this. Of course, they had to make sure the money was there first. $100 million just to get the thing started. Well, and you had the pandemic last yeah. year that slowed everything down. And you got to, again, like you said, make sure the money is still there. Uh, we'll also talk some Husker football. Nebraska coach Scott Frost met with the media after practice today. Kind of laid out how the spring game will work. There will be no tackling in the first half. They will have some tackling in the second half, but basically with the younger players. Also, uh, he confirmed what many have known. A star tied in from the Council Bluffs area, mm-hmm. Thomas Fedone, uh, blew out an ACL. So that, that's a bummer. That is too bad. All right, we look forward to those comments coming up in the next hour. How about Bob Rogan? How is the business uh, report looking? Well, stocks were off to a mixed start today on Wall Street right now. The Dow's 30 industrials, the NASDAQ, and the S&P are down. Uh, And Boeing is posting another loss uh, as a result of the pandemic and also issues surrounding its 737 MAX jetliner. Details on those stories coming up in the business news. All right. Thank you very much. It's time for the regional ag weather update, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. 
Paul Perkins, back in the studio <laughs> yet again. And well, Paul, uh, yesterday some of us got some rain last night as well. I know in my house I got just under an inch. How much did you get, by the way? In Northeast Kearney, about half an inch of rain. Okay. And I know the Kearney Airport had about 40 hundreds. At the Lexington Airport, about a quarter of an inch. The Grand Island reported about a half an inch of rain. But as you head to about Hastings and points to the southeast, not a lot of rain. Mm. The better chances of giving some sizable rains was definitely over northern Nebraska and western areas of Nebraska because I know Ord had right around 80 hundredths of moisture and also Imperial and Ogallala right around three quarters of an inch. But that's nothing compared to what northeast Colorado (laughs) received yesterday. A couple areas just under 10 inches. Yes, uh, six to eight inches of rain being reported south of Haxton, Colorado. I know we had a report earlier of four inches of rain at Petersburg in northeast Colorado and some flooding of basements there mm. and in Hax- uh, just to the south of Haxton, Colorado, where they had six and a half inches of rain. Uh, roads are impassable in a few areas due to the high water and also uh, that report of eight inches of rain in just to the west of Highland Center in Phillips County, Colorado. They had that eight inches of rain, but that was overtopping the rain <laughs> gauge, so they're not sure that they have the right amount. It could be a lot more. The true amount. Yeah, they know <laughs> they at least had eight inches of rain, but that's good for Northeast Colorado. They obviously are dry out there and need the, the moisture out there. And still a little bit of light rain uh, moving in from Julesburg and Ogallala into Northeast Colorado down to around the Imperial area, and those are some areas that do uh, need some moisture because mm-hmm. over Southwest Nebraska in severe drought right now. A little bit of light rain also over Kansas from about Hayes to Concordia and Salina. But most of us in the dry slot of the storm for the time being. And looking ahead today for most of the area, unfortunately, we're going to be cloudy. <laughs> Staying on the cool side today, a lot of our temperature is currently in the low to mid-50s. And not going to see a whole lot of movement in those temperatures today, making it into the upper 50s to the low 60s for the most part. We are seeing some sunshine, though, as you head towards the Nebraska Panhandle, especially from about Valentine to Sydney and points to the northwest. Rain and thunderstorm activity continuing to weaken and track to the east today with the departure of that area of low pressure. Main story for most of us today, a lot of low clouds and slightly cooler than normal temperatures. Now, tomorrow through Saturday, another warm-up on the way along with some dry weather. A good chance to get back into the field over the next few days. A ridge of high pressure builds onto the plains. Dry weather returning with those warmer temperatures in the 70s tomorrow, near 80 on Friday, and then some summer-like highs in the mid to upper 80s on Saturday. So, Tyler, if you're going to the spring game in Lincoln, you better bring some sunscreen. Hey, looking forward to it. That's great weather. Finally going to have good weather for those uh, for the game on Saturday and just on the weekend in general. Exactly, yeah. Sunday's not going to be quite as warm as the cold front starts to drop south. Daytime high is still about 15 degrees warmer than average for your Sunday, so a decent day all in all. Thunderstorms are possible by late in the day with that front. With the passage of low pressure, thunderstorms are likely Sunday night into Monday night. A few severe storms are possible, but right now the expected track of that low and position of the cold front likely to place our region on the cool and less favorable side for some severe weather. Temperatures stay mild in the long term. Warmer than normal temperatures are likely for Monday through May 11th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. So in case you're nervous about putting that seed in the ground, you should be in good shape. Rainfall likely to be near normal for 
central Nebraska the early half of next week before it goes drier than normal late next week through May 11. The Kansas outlook for rain indicates below normal rainfall the entire period of Monday through May 11. Soil temperatures four inches down at seven this morning as low as the mid to upper 40s in north central Nebraska to the Panhandle. All other locations in Nebraska and western Kansas with soil temperatures in the low 50s. Central and northeast Kansas soil temperatures in the mid to upper 50s. The soil temperatures soil temps were around, around 60 as you head into southeast Kansas. Key weather factors driving the markets include chances for favorable rain in the Midwest the next seven days and very limited rain for winter corn in Brazil. A slow-moving storm crossing the nation's midsection will continue to produce heavy rain and some severe storms from the southeast plains into the Ohio Valley. Additional rainfall could total two to four inches, leading to some possible flooding. The Midwest rain, though, will offer favorable moisture for seed germination and early growth. Another system next week could offer similar benefits. Dry weather will prevail the next five days across much of the northern plains. Topsoil moisture is rated in at least one half, very short to short, in the Dakotas, Colorado, and Montana. Eastern Southern Plains had some moderate, moderate to heavy rain yesterday. More is expected today. Some showers will develop over the western southern plains, but that region will remain mostly dry through the weekend. A system next week offering the chance for rain in the drier areas of the western southern plains. Central Brazil's primary crop areas will see little to no rain the next seven days, just as the end of the dry, rainy season is about to start. Uh, favorable conditions will continue for the Brazil's second crop corn that was mostly planted later than average. Just had a friend post on uh, social media of the rains that they got in Holyoke, and the the fields are flooded. I mean, wow. the, the the rain or the water, I should say, is rushing, gushing, I should say, over the the rural roads. There looks like just like a river going over these roads. So some washouts there. It is good rain, but uh, that's a, that's a lot at one time. Yeah, a lot of that soil out there probably prone to a lot of runoff right. when a heavy rain mm-hmm. does hit. And of course, they had some severe weather too. Numerous reports of funnel clouds mm-hmm. and tornadoes out in northeast Colorado late yesterday. Something we won't have to worry about today, though, right? No, uh, nice okay. and quiet and calming down, and then headed to a warmer and drier period. Look forward to it. For a full weather forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. The conversations of 30 by 30 continue across the state of Nebraska, now hitting the county levels. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Nance County yesterday during their county board meeting read voted to oppose the 30 by 30 climate agenda. I caught up with the Nance County attorney, Rod Watovic, and asked his thoughts on 30 by 30. We were aware that Keith County was probably the first. Uh, I think Clay County as well is is uh, concerned about, um, you know, the government owning some of this land and taking it off the tax rolls as well. And so... Um, yeah, there's there's some people kind of active about it and, and concerned about it because it really, if they were to idle or uh, put back to nature, so to speak, uh, 30% of our agricultural land, it would be uh, devastating, I think. What type of reaction and discussion happened, sir, within Nance County as you guys looked at the 30 by 30 climate agenda? actually contacted by a concerned citizen and pointed you know to some articles that had been written about it uh, and another uh, individual that is pretty active in Merritt County which is a neighboring county and so 
you know, some of this information was forwarded on to our county supervisors. And uh, I, I think there's enough articles out there about it to read about it. And uh, I guess I'm aware from the report last night that uh, Secretary Vilsack thinks that uh, it's no big deal and kind of laughed at our response, but uh, there just seems to be a lot of government overreach, maybe not only in the 3030 plan, but, you know, Second Amendment rights and that sort of thing. I think there's cause for some concern. For for those in agriculture to know that there's counties like Clay and Nance County that are really taking this very seriously and having the discussion before instead of trying to play catch-up after the fact. Yes, and I think that was kind of the message yesterday at the county board meeting is it behooves us to be proactive as opposed to reactive because it may be a little late if uh, you start to see, um, you know, groups coming in to buy property and, and landowners aren't aware of what some of the negative consequences might be. They may only be looking at, hey, that's a favorable price and I'm ready to retire. But if they are at least aware that, you know, what they, who they sell to might affect, you know, future generations and the the taxes and, and all that sort of thing, maybe they'll, they'll think better of it or think twice about what they're doing before they do it. So that was, that's part of the reason for the resolution, I think, is the awareness and, and trying to be a little proactive and uh, there was a lot of support from the community uh, at the meeting yesterday. And I, I think the word is just kind of getting out about the 3030 plan. I I had read uh, very little about it uh, just less than a few weeks ago. And uh, the more I read about it, the more it just it almost seemed like it's so out of touch with reality that it just <laughs> seemed crazy to me. And that discussion on 30 by 30, we're going to continue to hear as more counties look at it. That is the Nance County Attorney, Rod Butovic. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen joining us once again in well, more information uh, is being announced for the upcoming Husker football spring game. It'll be more like uh, glorified uh, flag football in the first half. It uh, sounds like there will be no tackling in the first half. A collection of younger players are expected to see most of the snaps in the second half. Approximately 32,000 tickets have been sold with mobile tickets remaining on sale through Saturday's 1 o'clock kickoff. Also some bad news, although we kind of knew this. Frost confirmed that star freshman tight end Thomas Fadone suffered an ACL injury this spring, which requires surgery and that he will miss most of the upcoming year. Bad news there. Let me back up a little bit here as well. Back to the tackling thing. Two things. One, it's fine for the young dudes to tackle each other. That's not a problem, apparently. And the other thing, uh, of the, the first stringers, if you will, of not being able to tackle each other, what are they doing in practice? I mean, they're somewhat tackling, aren't True, they? but I think most coaches... Uh, you know, they just see the spring game as a dog and pony show at this point. They've already seen from the guys through the workouts what they need to see. It'll be some kind of show, that's for sure. <laughs> yep, but hey, there will be a spring game. <laughs> Good point. Greg and Matt won't be calling a video game. 
Also a good point. And fans will be there, mm-hmm. and I think it's supposed to be sunny and 75, 80 degrees in Lincoln on Saturday. So Listen, why are we complaining <laughs> then? It's all yeah. right in the world. A groundbreaking ceremony is set for this Friday in Lincoln for the new North Stadium expansion. The $155 million project will link the new facility with Memorial Stadium. Athletic Director Bill Moose says they had to get the funding set up first. But we needed to get our numbers of uh, pledges up to $80 million, and we have surpassed that. We're hopeful that uh, with the excitement of uh, Husker football getting back to some semblance of normal, and our great fans, we, during the process of construction, will be able to raise the additional $20 million to hit our goal of $100 million and just get the, the whole project done at once. Moose was a guest last night on Sports Nightly in the Husker Sports Network. Part of the project will include a new locker room, that's the biggie, strength and conditioning center, also coach's office, and an additional outdoor practice facility. Of course, the project was initially put on hold when the pandemic hit. That'd be very happy they finally will be moving some dirt well not only that project but last night he also talked about some of the other uh, uh the track and field the projects as well by innovation campus so big things happening there in lincoln yep and the concordia volleyball team is still alive in the naia national tournament and pool play they beat lindsey wilson college out of kentucky last night in five uh, the bulldog setter is tara callahan from brady and she had herself a match 71 assists and 20 digs <laughs> That's, that's wow. getting after it. That's impressive yeah. stuff there. Goodness. Bulldogs will play in pool play this afternoon against Marion, who also is ranked mm. in the top ten. That one starts at 3.30. You can hear that uh, online or in the York area on our sister station, Max Country. Let me just say this. The NAIA, and when they hold those national tournaments there at the Tyson Event Center in Sioux City, they really do a good job overall. So uh, hats off to them because they, they really make it feel like a national tournament, unlike Division Two, <laughs> Where they... Uh, Played in ballrooms. All right, that's a low blow. I know. We need the game over. We got a reception coming in. That's right. (laughs) All right, thank you very much. Prices have inched up even further over the last two weeks, rising by two cents a gallon to a new national average of $2.96 per gallon. Industry expert Trebley Lundberg, the publisher of the Lundberg survey, explains what caused the increase. There had been a two-week lull in the gasoline price rise. That's because crude oil prices gave us a break. They had retreated some. Now they have regained a great deal of that. They're up in part because of strong demand out of China and the weakening dollar. And refiners uh, are also paying more uh, for ethanol because of higher corn prices. That's in gasoline prices, too. The highest local average price per gallon in the continental U.S. is in San Francisco at $4.04 a gallon. The lowest is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at $2.49. According to AAA, the average price of a gallon of regular gas is $2.78 in Nebraska compared to $2.77 a week ago, or a little over one cent higher. Fully vaccinated Americans don't need to wear masks outdoors anymore unless they are in big crowds. And those who are unvaccinated can go outside without masks in some situations, too. That's the word from the U.S. Center of Disease Control and Prevention as the health agency loosened mask guidelines Tuesday. 
The decision marks the government's latest step toward normalcy, but comes as much of the country already had moved on from mask rules. The decision is based in part on research showing that less than 10% of the documented instances of transmission of the coronavirus happened outdoors. And with more people getting vaccinated, the trend in case numbers is encouraging. A proposed tax cut for corporations and a tax credit for parents grieving a stillborn child have won initial approval from Nebraska lawmakers who criticized parts of the package but still gave it strong support. The measure advanced 41 to 1 Tuesday in the first of three required votes after hours of public debate spread over two days. The bill combines several proposals, including a gradual reduction in the top corporate income tax rate. Backers argued that the top corporate rate, 7.81%, should be lowered to match the top individual income tax rate of 6.84%. Under current law, many small businesses in Nebraska are allowed to file as individuals rather than corporations. Nebraska Secretary of State Bob Evans says he's frustrated with the U.S. Census Bureau's tardiness in turning over census numbers so state lawmakers can undertake redistricting of legislative and congressional districts. Evans says agency officials missed the April 1st deadline. It's a federal law requirement. They had no below that deadline, but they just announced they weren't going to make it and they weren't going to do it, and they thought that they would have the data for us by September 30th. That's way too late for us to do anything about it for the 2022 elections. And so along with really every other state in the union pushed back on this, we're now going to get the data in the middle of August. Evans says if the numbers are delivered in August, a special session for the legislature would be called so lawmakers could complete redistricting. After preliminary census data was released, it appeared Nebraska would retain its three seats in the House of Representatives. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. The book title, Happy Vet, Happy Pet, says a lot. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Over the last couple of weeks, we've had some stories on the air talking about our veterinarians and their mental health. I had the chance to catch up with Sandy Weaver. She is an author and program director at the Center for Workplace Happiness. She has recently written a groundbreaking book called Happy Vet, Happy Pet, Caring, for your pet's caregiver. And she talks about some rules we as pet owners need to think about. If you just back up and remember that the veterinarian is a human being to begin with, it's not a transactional thing. You know, you're not spending money at the local, you know, Vets Are Us to get inoculations for your animal. You're dealing with a human being who's a professional who has at least as much training as your personal family doctor has and is that much of a professional. You're dealing with that level of commitment to your animals. And so you, you owe them a little bit. And so the, the three rules are, first one, respect hospital hours and every single person who works in the veterinary hospital. People have a tendency to go in and, oh, say, you know, little Fifi peas in the waiting room, and they make no move to clean it up. They expect that the the trained professionals are going to come and mop up their dog's pee. Excuse me? No. Uh, that's, that's just rude. So you know, respect the people who are there to help your pets and respect hospital hours because these are all human beings and they deserve to have a life. So that's number one. Number two is follow the aftercare instructions to the letter. And this is where a lot of us fall down. 
because we're, you know, we're dispensed some pills or a salve or an ointment or taught how to give an injection if an animal has to have an ongoing injection. And we take the medication home and we know what we're supposed to do, but we're really bad about following aftercare instructions for ourselves. Less than, according to the CDC, about half of Americans don't even fill the prescriptions that they're given, much less take the medications themselves. So imagine how bad it is for the pet. And here's your veterinarian who's gone to all this schooling and all this trouble to do nothing but help your pet. And you are the obstacle that keeps that pet from getting better. And then you get upset because your pet's not getting better, but you're not administering the medication. And the pet has to go back and the vet has to have a very difficult conversation with you. Uh, or you lie to the vet, and then there's a big mystery going on. Why isn't the pet getting better if the medication's being given? This should be being improved. So th- that dichotomy is very common. So just follow the aftercare instructions to the letter. What is that final rule that we all seem to mess up on? Rule number three, we are so good at telling our friends what a fabulous veterinarian we have, how dedicated our veterinarian is. Tell the veterinarian. Write them thank you letters. Tell them thank you. When you take your pet in or when they've come out to do a farm call on a difficult case and things go well afterwards, call them and let them know, hey, things went well. Thank you so much. Send them a thank you note. Uh, Send them gifts every now and then. Take by a cake or Send some cookies or send some flowers. Know their birthdays. Take care of them. Let them know that you see them as a person and you appreciate them. If we all followed those three rules, we would take so much stress off our veterinarian. So much stress. And Sandy, that stress factor is what what makes me so sad because it's kind of like this unsung story. And I do have to tell you, and I'm going to be real blunt with this. There are very few veterinary suicide attempts. Because veterinarians have the know-how and the means and the access to lethal drugs. And so when they get ready to go, for male veterinarians, it's commonly a gun. For female veterinarians, it is uh, chemical poisoning or they use their euthanasia solution. Uh, they, they overdose themselves with something. Sui- veterinarians are professionals. They are professionals. They know how to end a life. They do it all the time. So when they get ready to end theirs, unless there's somebody there who has seen the warning signs or suspects that there's a problem and can intervene, there aren't a lot of suicide attempts in the veterinary community. You've got a very unique view and you break down your book into a variety of different chapters. And I think it's just definitely an eye opener for folks who have animals, whether it's livestock or or pets. Thank you, Susan. It would it would be very beneficial to their veterinarian if people read this book and understood who their veterinarian is. So I'm a citizen scientist in neuroplasticity and neuroscience and positive psychology. So I weave all of that through to help you understand how brains work and how somebody, because really it's being reported as a mental health crisis. And in some cases, it is a mental health issue. But in most cases, it's a coping skills crisis. And that should empower us as pet owners, because if it's only a coping skills crisis, then we can help. 
we're not trained doctors. We, we can't diagnose and we can't treat mental illness, but we can care about somebody and we can change our behavior to help them feel better and to help take some stress off of them. That's just a small portion of the conversation that I had with author Sandy Weaver. Her book, Happy Vet, Happy Pet, Caring for Your Pet's Caregiver. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. In the moment help is needed, a call is made, a phone is answered, and a local volunteer fire department responds. Tune in to 880-KRVN Tuesday, May 4, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, for our next Rural Radio Forum as we take a look at what keeps rural fire departments in Nebraska running. We'll hear from volunteers, fire chiefs, and state fire and EMS organizations on the role these departments play in rural emergencies. Listen May 4th for the next Rural Radio Forum, focusing on challenges facing rural volunteer fire departments. With the business report for this Wednesday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are off to a mixed start on Wall Street as investors take in a big wave of earnings reports for major U.S. companies. The S&P 500 index was up two-tenths of a percent in the early going. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down five-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq was up one-tenth of a percent. Google's parent company jumped 4% after the online giant reported that its profit more than doubled as digital advertising soared. Investors are looking ahead to an announcement later today on interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve and a primetime speech from President Joe Biden to lay out his $1.8 trillion spending plan. Boeing is posting another loss as the pandemic continues to undercut demand for new planes and the company deals with more problems around its 737 MAX jetliner. Boeing Company says it lost $537 million in the first quarter. That's less than the company lost a year ago, but still more than analysts expected. Yum! Brand's first quarter profit more than tripled from a year ago. Sales were bolstered by strong performances from its Pizza Hut and KFC brands in the U.S. The parent company of KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, earned $326 million, or $1.07 per share, for the period ended March 31st. A year earlier, it earned $83 million, or $0.27 per share. The year-ago period was hampered by a hefty goodwill impairment charge related to its acquisition of Habit Burger Grill. A Google affiliate is using drones to deliver Girl Scout cookies in a Virginia community. The town of Christiansburg has been a testing ground for commercial delivery drones operated by Wing, a subsidiary of Google Parent Alphabet. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Welcome to another edition of our Women in Ag series, brought to you by Tyson and Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. We're chatting with Val Baker, who after 30-some years traveling around the world with the Air Force, returned home a few years back to take over the family ranch. Val, tell us more about that. Had you always planned on coming back to Minotaur? No, it actually wasn't. And um, I, It's just one of those things where when your parents ask, you come. But uh, I had uh, planned on, I have a place in Arizona, and I was going to go to Arizona and rope and compete and Hopefully have good horses and might have even been at the NFR, but not not now, not for a while anyway. Val, I know you still stay engaged with rodeos. Tell us a little bit about your most recent ones, and I also understand that you're working to get the younger generation also engaged. I've got two older horses. I actually took uh, one of them down to the Art of the Cowgirl in January. I'd planned on taking my young mare, but uh, 
she got hurt, of course, the day before we were going to leave. And uh, just having places to practice and, and uh, keep keep the younger horses up and train them, um, it, it takes a lot of work, but it's fun. I um, am the president of the Saddle Club, and we're trying to keep the, the cowboy um, things alive there, too. Uh, we've got a whole new series this year, and hopefully we can get the community uh, involved and um, we've got Aaron Johnson coming for a breakaway clinic, and it's going to be a fun summer. But trying to give opportunities to myself and the the younger generation to keep the roping and stuff alive is kind of our goal at the Saddle Club. That's pretty cool. So switching gears a bit, let's pick up when you began taking over the ranch. Was it a smooth or rocky transition? It was hit the ground running. We I uh, got read out of my clearance uh, the very end of March, and we. Uh, my husband and I brought the horses and my eclectic collection of tractors and skid steers and stuff up. And we got here the day the first calf was born that year. So we kind of hit the ground running. And um, we've, we've changed a few things. I My dad uh, did small squares. And with my spine injuries and knee injuries from falling out of the helicopter, I can't do that. So we've, we've gone to more of a round bale operation and uh, made some adjustments. But everything seems to be working just fine. So tell us more about your cow-calf operation. So we've got a completely closed herd. Everything that we have here has been born on the place. Um, they're all pretty tame. We uh, we just buy outside bulls and um, pr- pretty basic on the cattle operation side. They're a commercial Hereford Angus Cross bloodline, so tremendous milk producers and try and raise those 500, 550-pound calves. They're all natural and um you know, try to keep it that way. If we do have to doctor something, we pull them out and mark them. Val, you hear a lot about certified organic operations. Tell us a little bit more about the difference between your operation and an organic one. Yeah, we're not, we don't do the antibiotics and things like that. And like I said, if we do, the kind of the big difference between all natural and, and um, organic is that they they don't allow antibiotics on the place at all. And at least all natural, if you do, you can pull one out of the program and, uh, you know, save it and um, mark it so that you don't put it back in the all-natural side of it. And that way you can keep it, keep those that are all-natural marked and or clean and the ones that's not, you can still at least have the baby calf. We fight so hard to keep them alive and all that stuff. I don't want to let any of them die. <laughs> well, thanks for taking time and visiting with us for our Women in Ag series brought to you by Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture and Tyson. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Clay Van on the World Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain markets with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, some pretty heavy selling coming in here towards the session's close across much of the grain complex. However, given the price levels that we've seen, we've talked about air bubbles in the market yesterday. Where do we go and where do we maybe find that next level of support before we try and make another run at those big highs? Well, again, talking on the market, you know, May is going to start to get real wild here as it goes into delivery. I know folks are going to try to hang into it, just given that the base is strong. Um, you know, the U.S. port offers have kind of floated here above where Argentina is substantially of Argentina, more more so of Brazil now, kind of matching with their offerings. So I don't know if we're going to get much upside above what we saw today. Uh, 720, obviously, the, the May contract has not liked that level. Um, so... <laughs> 
you kind of do two things for somebody like myself. I want to play seasonal, okay? I want to play the, the, the typical breakout that you get in the uh, in the market here as we go into delivery in a tight market. But, you know, I'm a little nervous just to own May like that. So I think the bull spread between May and July, which traded at $0.12 cents two weeks ago, is now at $0.60. Cents. And that could get – I could see that getting a dollar wide. As, as crazy as it sounds – you know, those markets are going to discount themselves at some point for new crop, especially here in the U.S. if conditions, you know, go well. So short term here, it's, um, you know, it's going to be a wild ride in the end of the month. I, I expect tomorrow and Friday to, to provide a lot of action. And, um, you know, I, I still kind of maintain if you're going to look to sell something, look at Chicago or look at KC Wheat. You know, it just has not liked, you know, to trade much above $7. And I just don't know if it has the likes here uh, over the short term. Long term, it's another story. Speaking of that KC weed, we talk about the spread between it and that corn contracts. The July contracts getting around 50, 60 cent spreads. Does the spread tell you anything about the relationship between the two? Well, the deferred contracts are where you look at the, at the front month May and corn's over. So it, it, that tells you something. Uh, if you're looking to put a trade on, I think you, you, know, you get a couple of months away from delivery and you buy the, the corn and sell the KC and hope that that, that kind of normalization is going to maintain. I don't know how the story changes over the next three months. That's, that's my, my thing. You know, wheat, I don't know. I'm going to assume there's a crop. So if you assume there's a crop in wheat, a good, decent crop out of Kansas, then there should be a, a decent amount of supply to feed the feedlot, you know, in southwest Kansas. So short run here, I think there's a, you know, a little bit of a blip you got to worry about when it comes to, uh, to corn just because falling feed supplies into the wheat harvest. But, the long run here on the new crop is still a U.S. weather story. So, in my opinion, you kind of lay off hedges. That would be my advice. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst. You want to follow up for more advice, it's John Payne, or it's DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember trading future options involve risk of loss. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of Midday. You can catch the Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors at KRVN.com or on Spotify or iTunes.